All right, Neil. Yeah. Welcome. Yeah. How's it Just going, mate? You all right? Yeah, good, mate. Good, good. Um, really excited to actually try to kick this stuff off. Um, yeah. I know we've been talking about a few of these things for a while, but um, mm. being, being quarantined, I guess, allows us to think a little bit more about life properly. Yeah. Um, but it's good actually, to kind of... Talking, talking about it, we obviously had a bit of uh, apprehension jumping on and putting our thoughts out into the world wide web. What do you, why do you think that is for, I'll, I'll, like, personally, it's probably insecurities because we've never done anything like this before, but what do you, what else do you reckon? I think when we're sitting there trying to put this in a forum that's bigger than us yeah. and the question goes, oh, well, who's going to listen and why would they listen and what if I say something stupid because someone's going to go, well, that's wrong. And I think, and I think that's when slowly the insecurities start coming in parallel to more the question of who who's out there to listen and what your what your audience are and yeah. where we get in there from. I think that's I think that's where the apprehension or the or the hesitance was to go. Mm, should we do this or all that? Yeah. Um, yeah. So no, I'm looking forward to exploring that. Yeah. So um, one of the things at the moment, this big um, pandemic happening, and every time you talk to someone, they've got an opinion on it. This show is going to be all about firsts. I guess for our generation, this is the first real showstopper mm. in our economy, in our careers. What do you reckon about it all at the moment? I think um, one of the things is why it's a first is probably us as a demographic is the first time we've actually approached this because I think the last GFC, we weren't as relevant to it. Um, so therefore, it's not that it's a first of impacting us in such high scales, but it's actually a first for people like our age and us going through the employment life cycle, family, uh, mm. homes, and all that stuff too. So therefore, it's a bit more significant to us, and it feels like uncharted territory. Yeah, so so that's that's probably one of the things I think why it's become so significant to our generation. I guess, well, the question is for us, um, especially us in our careers, we quickly see um, jobs that are easily uh, pushed aside. I guess um, in times of crisis. And you can see jobs that are more valuable. So obviously your healthcare workers are always always going to be valuable. Yeah. Um, but also in the business world, you see um, leaders are valuable in, a situ- in situations like this because they need to lead their teams, lead their businesses around. Um, and you see a lot of soft skills in um, individuals that are held more valuable in businesses as well. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on, you know, just going through an environment like this now over the last couple of weeks, seeing trends and seeing how businesses are transitioning and obviously halting stopping or getting rid of a lot of transactional activities <clears throat> onto people yeah. with those soft skills to help navigate through situations like these i think that's been pretty eye-opening yeah i think um one of the key things that's kind of evolved um in our whole generation and everything like that is that it's the availability and the explosion of information at our hands that if we, you know if you take how people reacted to this in the last GFC, it could be slightly different because there's more widespread fear in this world right now because people have the ability to see every minute what's actually happening. The media is also, you know, throwing out all this information around what's happening in other countries and stuff. So people are taking that fear from other places and internalizing to their own environment. Yeah. I think that's where a lot of people uh, and companies uh, are actually being so reactionary, I think, Mm -hmm. in my view. If you looked at a lot of seasoned leaders and a lot of people who have gone through these cycles and like, like one, for example, my current 
um, from Karen Box, he was talking about having a chat with these mathematical psychologists who's talking about people behavior. Yeah. And I think what it tends to do is the best way to react sometimes is to try push through being as normal as possible. Mm. Whereas in this world of fear, it's so hard to do and the media pressure and the social pressures of ensuring people sometimes used to react or, or act on something that even if they didn't, didn't know the answer, they were still firm on what their beliefs and actions mm. were. But yeah. nowadays, I think people are being like we were, just to be apprehensive and going, oh, I know I should make that decision. But if I do, these group of people will get upset or that people get upset. Therefore, they're leading to decisions of being more more insecure in their own businesses. Therefore, mm. being more um, conscious of their cash and et cetera. Therefore, pushing aside these transactional things that you said, mm. which which really attribute to how companies or give strength to companies actually operation, operating mm. in their normal cycle as best they can, I think. Um, I think people have fallen further beyond lean to more damage control. Yeah. I think the approach of running lean, yeah, the approach of running lean. I think a lot of companies just skip that to go mm. let's go lean and see what happens next. See what happens next. Um, therefore, um, I think that's that's kind of the transitional process people have gone through. Like you said, probably the additional additional layer of information adding greater fear, mm. additional social pressures. Um, and just being a lot more cautious around what potentially can happen. So, but by the end of this period, it's those companies who are who ran lean and as strong as possible and as stable yeah. as possible are the ones who are going to bounce back much quicker. Mm. So your short-term cost savings or cash savings um, has kind of put you a little bit behind the eight ball against other companies too. So I think there's, there's right or wrong ways, but... Um, um, I feel like that's how big companies have reacted and why they have reacted yeah. as such. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm just thinking through um, some of the stuff you said as well. So <laughs> over last week, I've been talking to a couple of friends who do learning <laughs> consulting with the accounting and finance functions. And they were talking about, yeah. obviously, their work's going to dry up because a lot of businesses put, put a stop to projects and learning and development and stuff this time. And he was talking about, um, you know, setting up some stuff uh, to give out free for teams. And I was just thinking, in a time like this, a lot of companies obviously understandably stop learning and development, but individuals as well. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people just go into panic mode and they think, actually, I just need to survive this and I need to, you know, become sustainable to the point where they're like, I don't need to learn anymore. I don't need to learn for these next three months. And that's probably a danger in itself because some of the stuff you were talking about, you just got to be normal and operate how you normally do through a situation like this. So you can come out stronger and that's a good thought. And, you know, you and me, we play sports. We love sports. One of the things I've been watching as well, the test um, on Amazon and they were uh, in the Pakistan series, the Australia series and Usman Khawaja, um, you know, obviously he was struggling before and he went into this crucial innings, which was like do or die for the team. Yeah. And he started normal, like how he does. Yeah. And he got through that just because, you know, he did what he knew. And I yeah. think that you apply that sporting lens to our lives and our professional careers. And I think we just got to do that. Just do what we know, operate normally. And when it comes to the other side of this, um, we'll come out strong, obviously, because a lot of people have just shut down. And a lot of companies have shut down as well. I think that's what it is. It's not, uh, you know, there's obviously businesses have different situations and they need to cut costs where they do. And they've got to be savvy in how they operate. But yeah. I think being confident to keep to your core 
and confident as to why you've got the right people before mm. this crisis mode. Yeah. And you got to trust that you've picked the right people to not always be there for the good times, but when it goes bad, those are the right people to take you through it. And those people yeah. have to be confident in their ability not. I think um, that's a good example, like you said, with Osman Kawaja too. Like, I, I could relate to that one. Um, I remember a couple of seasons back, I was trying to change my batting style and I was trying to bat a little bit up, you know, went up the order and I was trying to be defensive. And that's not my game. That's not the way I play. Mm. And I, I was getting myself out being defensive. And I think the next season I went out and go, you know what? If this is the only way I know how to play, that's my strength. Yeah. I think my lowest level of achieving strength is higher than an uncharted territory that I'm going to get. So therefore, I'm always going to, it's going to be a better output regardless. Mm. Um, and I took that approach and I was batting better over the last couple of seasons because I've gone with that mentality that my the worst of my best is actually better than trying to be the best of my worst. So. Yeah. So that's it. I think that's the kind of uh, approach that a lot of businesses could, could should take. And again, everyone has different situations. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting times. I think, like, this is this is cliche, but crisis is opportunity, right? Absolutely. Uh, so it's if you look at crisis and you sit there and go, okay, let's just deal with the crisis rather than going, how do you outrun the crisis? Mm. I mean, that's, that's a mindset mind, mindset of shift with. When you start taking and maybe you'll you'll see that come across thing a lot of businesses that will do that like just today i was looking at some business like the f1 uh f1 companies uh they're using instead of them uh creating motors they're actually using all their machinery to create ventilators and sending it out so it's just going when would you ever think that would be the case right but they've gone process people working well okay we're not going to race cars there's equipment to do everything here shift it like we can easily shift out and make what's required so yeah they're interesting like you, you'll i think you'll see a new a new wave of different type of people and companies coming out now or big companies mm -hmm. even realizing what their abilities are um, yeah. that they wouldn't have seen had this crisis not appeared yeah so, so it's it's really interesting but obviously it's still um on yeah a macro level it's um damaging to many people it's not just yeah. It's not all the rainbows everywhere. Yeah. But I think as much as you can find a rainbow in any situation, mm. uh, try to hold on to it. Yeah. I think that's a good um, phrase there. Crisis breeds opportunity. You think about um, companies like Airbnb. It's all about timing as well. So it'd be exciting to see companies that come out of this. There'll be a lot of innovation. But companies like Airbnb, before the GFC, you know, a lot of investors passed on Airbnb because they were like, no one's ever going to, give up their lounge or their bedroom to let strangers into their house. But after the GFC, when there was an actual need for people to make money, people were very open to that idea. And that just, you know, Airbnb just captured that crisis. And because of that, they are where they are now. So I think yeah. a lot of companies are going to take advantage. Um, there's going to be a lot of new companies coming out of this situation as well. So yeah. be kind you of diversify. Yeah, diversify yeah. companies. And you know, don't don't quote me on this, but I thought I heard it somewhere. I think the Chinese have the same symbol for crisis and opportunity. Oh yeah, so, yeah. Don't quote me, but I think they do. Um, you should get a tattoo, right? <laughs> I don't know if it's right or wrong. First of all, um, <laughs> but I think so. I think so. I'm not yeah. sure, but yeah. So you talked about your cricket. You talked about how you like to play aggressive. I've been monitoring your career over the last couple of um, years obviously i work pretty closely with you your career in itself is uh pretty aggressive 
Um, I guess your approach to your career is pretty aggressive and your mentality is aggressive, which is good. I think there's a lot of things I've learned from that as well. Uh, I just want you to take us through, because this is an episode of firsts. Take us through yeah. your first job, a first couple of jobs. What was it? What did you learn from it? Um, and yeah, take us through how that might have helped you mold the mentality you have. Um, my first ever job, so I'm, I'm going to start with first ever job, was uh, Big W. So I think my, I've always wanted to, everything I do, I always want to do good and I want to be really good at it and not be good at it in the sense of being better than someone else, but being good at it that I'm happy with it. So I remember doing Big W. Um, I did a, uh, what do you call it, a work experience and then I, I did it quite well. So they offered me a part-time job while I was at school. Did that, uh, worked through that, you know. Um, then I did like a small little stint after school like hospitality and some little bookshop and stuff. But then um, I was lucky enough to get a get a good job at a liquor land. Uh, so it's a liquor store right nearby. It's a local liquor store during uni. Um, that was one of my first proper jobs. Part is though it's part time, but I was there for about four years and stuff. So I again just being aggressive and doing wanted to do well. I went from just um, coming in trying to learn what the products were to actually um, being able to solo run the run the uh, just a bottle shop by ourselves and yeah we me i met a good friend over there too and we became really good really good i would say characters in the community that we had a lot of locals that always came by our regulars that came by i really enjoyed just us being their bottle people yeah um i think i built that i built that one of the skills i built with that was again probably one work ethic because as much as i mucked around in a liquor store as you could imagine at the same time every time i left the store was upkeep everything was well presented and we did what we need to do. So I think I built a lot of stuff around work ethic. Um, mm. I built a lot of, uh, I wouldn't class, class at a stakeholder manager from a corporate sense, but I built the ability to really connect with customers um, yeah. and understand different customer needs. Like, you know, you get a regular that comes in and you, you start knowing their patterns. They'll be here every second that they'll want this. Sometimes we're in a rush, we'll put all the stuff aside for our regulars that you know they'll come by. So when they walk in, mm shit's actually just at the desk rather than then have to get pick it up which they some were surprised at the start and then um that's just developed more so i think learning to understand what your stakeholders are what they want what the patterns were those are kind of a little softer very very um uh what do you call it um very early stages of trying to learn stakeholder management um yeah. though a different scenario versus corporate but i think there were very early stages with that um so those were some of the skills that i learned Mm. through that and then from there i actually ended up finishing uni um and the day after my exam i got a job at where i still am at hudson uh in apparel apparel customer service team again jumped into the corporate world i didn't know what corporate was so i took any job that first came um it was a six-month contract um, yeah and i jumped on the payroll just i thought that's what corporate is that's what my canon degree wants me to do and i was doing that i was learning that and then i kind of realized as, as i was in there that this is not really what my canon degree is it's more of a customer service role but at the same time i didn't want to just drop and run but i was really good at it again if i finished the day all my careers are finished um i took on extra things that were curious to me um I kept growing that and i put my hand up to do projects and sometimes um 
if, if there weren't projects, I made a project out of it. So I was always actually pushing myself to do something different. And through that approach, I got on a couple of, um, a, sorry, a key project, which enabled me to convert my um, six month contract into more of a permanent job, which then I ended up getting into a, um, a BA role. Um, again, went through the same cycle look for projects, look to learn, just be curious that all I was doing is being curious and I picked up certain things and um, I forced projects because I found certain things that you wanted to do and you laid it out to your managers going, we can do it like this, we can do it mm. like that. And sometimes, you know, managers are busy doing their own stuff. They don't have time to think and innovate. Um, they need to rely on people who are actually in depth in the work to come up with those things. And with that, it grew and grew. So as a BA, I understood the business and understood how things work in the back end. And then I moved into a, a commercial management role. Um, so that I was there for about four years and that's when I really honed in on stakeholders, stakeholder skills. I really honed in on the financial skills that I did at uni and all that stuff too. And I really started building deeper and deeper into those, um, into those streams, mm-hmm. um, which kind of then leads, you know, like that was an ongoing cycle. I think I was doing more things beyond the role, but, um, <clears throat> which then kind of leads into the new role that I'm in, but I'm also more facilitating with the business in terms of the strategy and the insights component. But like you said, the aggressive career, I think I was, I was always trying to play continuously going up. So I didn't let, I didn't let uh, my role title define what I was doing. Yeah. Um, my curiosity guide me. So again, just as I'm playing cricket, if the ball's out and wide, I'm going to fucking go for it. Right. <laughs> so I always very lucky, you know, it's just because they've packed the offside field doesn't mean I'm not going to, I'm not going to play my shots. Yeah. So that's just the way I took it. Um, so I'm just so. talking through, um, so your first couple of jobs, some soft skills that you build there, work ethic, stakeholder management, taking initiative and a curiosity mindset. And I've always yeah. had this thought that when you're, younger in your first couple of jobs especially in whatever profession a lot of employers bang on about technical skills so like if you're an accountant for example they're like oh do you know your accounting standards or do you know your international standards you know how to audit such and such and my biggest thing is all of that can be taught really easily the things you can't teach are soft skills which is why i strongly believe like at the younger age between 18 25 even to an extent up to 30 those are the skills that you need to build things that you mentioned. So work ethic is huge. Um, taking initiative, um, curiosity mindset, and to an extent, stakeholder management after that as well. Um, how important do you think that is? And do you think a lot of employees are getting it wrong? So when they go into interviews, do you think a lot of employees are looking for the wrong things? Cause a lot of this stuff like technical things can be molded really easily. It can be taught. Yeah. I, I think, I think the getting it wrong is, is very black and white. I think they're getting the weighting of it wrong. I think yeah. the, the the balance of importance that some employees are getting it wrong. Mm. Now, you know, um, 100% agree some technical specific jobs require more technical competency than soft skills, right? Yeah. That's 100%. But I think for people who are looking to advance their career, move into leadership and move into, depending on I think the new age of roles coming through, a bit more diverse that people need to be. Yeah. more competent in these softer skills. And I, I call it foundational skills too as well, I think, mm. um, being able to do that. So I think a lot of employers, sometimes the old school so old school hiring managers or employers could get it wrong because they go, oh, yeah, that person's not a 
not an experienced accounting person, blah, 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 et cetera. They haven't really done much of these tax and all these kind of things. But like you said, if someone comes in and knows half the stuff, but they know how to get the job done, that's that's cool. And the how to get the job done is someone who's able to navigate their stakeholders, navigate the environment and get the best out of others to get the job done. I think those are skills <clears throat> that that people need to start looking at a little bit more. Mm. As opposed to going, you're an experienced accountant because on based on that logic, people are going to stop hiring someone who's 70, who's been doing accounting for 70 years, right? Yeah, 100%. But you're not going to hire them after a while. So where's the right balance and the right wave? Uh, the peaks and troughs to hire people around those particular skills. Yeah, I, yeah. Per- I personally value curiosity as one of my biggest things that I'd look for in a person. Yeah, because those are those you can take your technical skills and that transfer them across different streams if you're curious enough to make it work, right? But the other part is being curious and that very, that, that's the balance of the skills, right? Being curious and being confident and applying it at the right times. That's yeah. that's a phased approach people should have. Yeah. Um, so how do you build competence? I think um, the way I build it is one, learning from failure. Fa- like I think failure is not an output, mm. it's actually an input. Right, like sometimes people go, you either fail or succeed, and therefore their outputs. Failure is actually an input because it's something that's going to come back in for you to get to your success. So I learned a lot of shit by failing because I knew I'd never do that again. Mm. So that's how I build confidence. Um, one of the things that I used to do is you'd always have self development time. Mm. Reflect you have one or two hours a week to come back and reflect how you did things and why that worked and how do you do it better. I think yeah. that's how you build by always repeatedly working on yourself uh, and reviewing the outcome. Yeah, I like that. Um, always be willing to take a risk and, you know, don't fear failure. I know Rihanna, probably the world's best singer at the moment, has a tattoo that says, never a failure, always a lesson. So I think that's a pretty yeah. good uh, concept to take into your career. So if you uh, say you get to talk to a 17, 18, 19, 20-year-old version of yourself, Mm-hmm. Um, what advice would you give someone in that, uh, I guess, phase of their life? Um, I think if I was 17 and I knew what I knew now, I would try and fast track, fast track a couple of things because, but it's funny because sometimes I sit there and I go, I probably I wouldn't have learned the lessons by going to the wrong path. Yeah. But I think one of the key things is, I actually liked doing what I do if it's my passion and what I what really uh, triggers my mind and stimulates my mind. I think one of the things sometimes people do is like, again, what I did when I went through my high school and uni, I, w- I wanted to be an engineer because it looked cool and people did it. Then I wanted to be an accountant because of CA and I did the CA because everyone talked about it. But never really started working. I go, you know what, maybe if I focus more on the finance and economics side because that's actually my interest. Mm-hmm. I didn't know all about it. I didn't know that being an analyst or being to strategy, a lot of those uh, base educational parts around economics and finance were going to be a lot more valuable to me now. Yeah, I think um, being able to really go into the stream of something that you really enjoy doing, what's your passion? I feel like one of the, it's the key things, like what's, what are you passionate about, first of all, and then trying to understand and mould what does your work look like? What does What are you going to be... You're going to work for the 40, 50 years of your life, right? 
you got to do something that you're passionate about because if you do something that you're passionate and something that stimulates you and why you get up in the morning to do that, I think that's what's going to drive you in the same path and continuously growing. Yeah. And you'll be happy to do that. So then if I talk to a 17-year-old, I go, you just try and break it down going, what do you like? Like, if it means I like drawing and like that, it's not to go now be an artist. It's going, okay, you like drawing, but you also like the financial streams and you like the strategy and the consulting component. How do you combine all the skills and passion into a career? Mm. I think that's the parcel that you try and guide a 17-year-old me into. Yeah. Like right now, I've realized... I've been a scribbler and, and I use visuals a lot and I stopped drawing for a long time. I go, if I just stuck to a little bit of my drawing skills, I could actually articulate my things a little bit better on paper and all that stuff where I use it in more visually simulating ways with yeah. my stakeholders. But a lot of 17-year-olds don't know that. Sometimes they go, oh, okay, I'm, it's not, I can't be an artist. I can't be a painter. That's yeah. no, Utilize that and you can change it all up and you can make yourself stand out from the crowd if you're still focused on going down engineering, if you're going down finance, whatever, you can still use those skills. So I think, yeah, yeah, just I think if I 17 year olds try and harness passion and balance it out with a healthy career, being able yeah. to then you know provide for your family down the track. That's yeah, that's what I'd say. I think it's the age where you can take risks as well. I think one thing is as a kid as a young adult i was just too content on being comfortable i remember yeah. being in a job and just you know going through the motions and waking up and being like this is what a job is this is what a career is just being unmotivated and you know not learning anything new for a period and i think you should continually challenge yourself you know i guess you've got to do that throughout your life but especially at that age you've got to be yeah. aggressive in the sense that <clears> every day you're learning something new and you're challenging yourself to do something new yeah. you know? and that's the only mindset you'll build to go into your, to leapfrog into your career. Yeah. Like another thing is, I guess, um, the fear of time. If I look back in myself personally, again, you fear the timelines. Mm. If I don't have it by this age and I'm not doing this by that age, therefore yeah. I'm not doing it. Therefore, when you try and, ta- again, the aggressive component, when you aggressively try and target your timeline goals, mm. you actually, you do it at the expense of the passionate things or even realizing that there's four or five things that will come a year later, you'll do it so much better. I think that's the advice of some people to go, hey, hold up, don't rush into a career or mm. don't have to rush into a timeline to meet meet a certain deadline of your own personal self. Yeah. It's good to have personal deadlines and stuff, but I think sometimes people younger, and I personally did it myself, is having cushions and having not mm. fearing being late because... When I got into my career, I aggressively grew it through different roles. Um, yeah. Had I known that, I would have taken a little bit more time earlier on in the start of the part and you know, do more things for yourself in a sense as well. Because mm. you build that experience. Like life experience really translated to work experience, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I see that. I Yeah, unfortunately, mine. I see it on the other side of, of the timeline. I go, shit, if I look back. Still could have done those things and still been where I am if I mm. had not known. So, yeah, that's the advice. I'd go back and go, um, pressure on timelines. Hold hold up a little bit. Take it easy. Yeah, a, lo- a lot of those um, pressures are stereotypical, like society's yeah. pressures or, you know, sometimes it's even our culture. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, know, I know growing up, you know, my parents kind of had an expectation of, and, you know, f- fairly so, because if they didn't have it, I'd probably be... Uh, 
still sitting on the couch um, eating nachos at the moment. But um, because they did, I kind of thought that's the way life needed to be uh, lived. And now sometimes you got to challenge that and um, you got to find a happy medium and learn from it yeah. as well. So, yeah, absolutely right there. Very culturally culture driven, driven too, I'd say, that, mm. those mindsets. I think, I think that's a good thing about being able to go back and talk to these young guys is actually giving them the cross-cultural teachings as well. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So um, this is obviously our first uh, little session, first episode. I thought it would be good to finish up with a game of first. So what I'm going to do, Neil, is I'm going to say a couple of uh, phrases or words, and I want you to tell me the first thing that comes to your mind or first word. Does that make sense? So if I say, you know, favorite cricket player, then you can say MS Dhoni or something. Oh, no, mate. You know that. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. All right, you ready? Go for it. All right. First car. Uh, Saab, 900. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Impressions of your first ever boss? Um, Shit, I'm just going blank trying to work out which is the first boss. I'm going to go fun, actually. I'm going to go fun. All right, is that Little Land or Big W? I I actually thought of Dermot. I just sat there and I think every year. I I saw Dermot as my first proper manager for development. I think it was fun. Cool. Person. Yeah. He's a spit in the face of every other boss you've had before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. First thought you had when you heard about the coronavirus. <laughs> I thought the coronavirus. I, I honestly, I just thought it would be blowover. Yeah. That's what. I yeah, I think like most of us did. <laughs> um, first podcast you've ever listened to, if you can remember. Um, I think I've delved into a couple, but actually one of the ones is Teacher's Pet. It's the one I actually watch, uh, listen properly. Is that the crime um, one? The criminal yeah, one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one, um, Australian teacher and stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, I've heard about that. In, it's in uh, court now. Yeah. Uh, but that another podcast because obviously it's criminal trial yeah. going on right now. But uh, yeah, that was my first proper one I actually listened to throughout. Yeah. Um, first promotion ever and what job was it? Um. Yeah, T- title and all changes and formal contracts was my BA. <laughs> like I said to you, I always worked beyond the role. Never really looked back and get the role title in because yeah, first one was still a customer experience. Yeah, uh, representative for two years. I did a lot of different things in between that. And I first got my proper contract. I was pretty happy. Got my first contract as a BA. Yeah. I'm like, wow. Business analyst took home my parents, get finally an analyst. I know, <laughs> I know what it is, I know what I'm doing, but here's my first one. That yeah. was my first one. I actually felt that that was a promotion and a and a and a, and a win. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And just to finish up, what's the first thing you'll do after this coronavirus hysteria dies down? Mate, I'm gonna go out and grab a drink with my mates. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, mate. Really good to chat with you and uh, catch you next time.